Hello and welcome to this special episode, a Milan special, no less, of Words on Wood. At this year's Salone del Mobile, the American Hardwoods Export Council is a proud supporter of Marais, Perpetuum Mobile, an exhibition of furniture design hosted as part of Interni Design Regeneration at the University of Milan from the 6th to 13th of June. This is a very special show, as it's a display of the great Spanish architect Enrique Marais, who sadly died in 2000. Marais is very well known for his architecture. He created the Stirling Prize-winning Scottish Parliament building, for instance. But Perpetual Mobile casts a light on the furniture that he designed for his own home in Barcelona, much of which was created in conjunction with his partner, the architect Benedetta Tagliabui, who continues to run their joint practice, Marais Tagliabui. Perpetuum Mobile shows a number of the designs that Marais and Tagliabue developed, designed to create a dynamic and flexible home, which have now been recreated in American hardwoods and displayed publicly for the first time. So to find out more about this project, and to explore the very considerable legacy of Marais, we sat down with Benedetta to discuss the genesis of Perpetuum Mobile and how she and Enric applied their architectural principles to wooden furniture. We hope you enjoy the interview. Benedetta, welcome to Words on Wood and thank you for joining us. We're here today to speak about a new exhibition, uh, Perpetuum Mobile, which opens in Barcelona and then moves to Milan for the Salone del Mobile. Now, this exhibition is a tribute to uh, your partner, Enrique Morales, the very great uh, Spanish architect. Um, but it's an unusual route into his work, isn't it? Because this is an exhibition of some of his furniture designs and, you know, not even furniture pieces produced for uh, mass production. These were private sort of works that you had in the house you shared together. Can you introduce us to the concept behind the exhibition a little bit and 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 how Perpetuum Mobile came to be. Yeah, I, I, I think this furniture, these pieces of furniture, they are really something that we were not even considering our work because we were working in the studio, we were producing projects together, we were making beautiful drawings to be published. But then when we did our home, we were not thinking about publishing our home. It was a, really creating our private place. Enric was very, very creative in order to invent our own new life together. And some of his creativity was going in these beautiful pieces, wooden pieces, that they were always unusual, always very special. And they had in common something that he didn't even plan. No, it, it came out like this. And all of them have movements in the sense that... Uh, you can position them in a sort of position and then change it. And this goes together with the concept of our home, which was like a loft because it was an abandoned old house in the old part of Barcelona. But we found it after it was, it has been used as a, as a loft, really as a storage. So it had no walls, it had no decorations. It was really like a big space and we thought, it would be fantastic to live in a, in a house with no determined uh, rooms. So we had furniture which were responding to that. 
<laughs> I believe there's this concept of the house in motion, right? Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and what the idea was that Enric had with, with that. Yeah, we, we had always the idea that, you know, whenever we were doing a project, you have to take decisions. And sometimes you ask yourself, uh, which brick do we choose, the red one or the yellow one? Well, why don't we choose the two? And then we were mixing, you know, or while doing our home, we were saying, well, the underneath the when we scratch the wall underneath the painting, we have fantastic remains. What do we do? Do we paint again or do we leave the remains? And we decided, well, let's keep the two. So we have now stripes in our home, which are showing the old uh, past on the walls, but also the new white painting. And in sense of furniture, we had the same. Where do we position our uh, dining room? Uh, do we want to have eight peoples or do we want to have 18? Well, we can have all of them. It depends how you move the furniture. <laughs> and, and all the house is like that, a little, a little open and transformable. I mean, you mentioned before, these pieces were, were never public. They were never intended to be seen. Was it a difficult decision to, to want to show them off now? And what prompted you to think now's the time to bring these pieces to light? I think it's true. It was like uh, as if they were invisible pieces, only very private at the very beginning. But then time has passed. Eric died in year 2000. I decided to live in the house and go on with the life of the house and transforming and changing. And then at a certain moment, uh, uh, I thought it was possible to tell the story of this uh, furniture. And, uh, and also to rediscover it because they, are, they were created maybe 25 years ago, 28 years ago, depending. But I think they are very, very new, very uh, responding to, to the times now. So I think it's very lovely to, to show them. And it's very lovely because now I, I, I put up this exhibition with my daughter and the boyfriend and my, my daughter was not there when we were designing this, uh, these pieces. So it's, a, it's, it's really lovely. It's, it's another time. It's another epoch. Can you tell us a little bit about, you mentioned there they respond to today, you know, these pieces still feel contemporary. And I know context is so important to you as an architect. How, how does it feel to exhibit these works in a, in a setting very different to their original context? What, what do you think they'll say to audiences? I think it's, it's very special. I'm very happy precisely about that, 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 that they, this furniture can serve other purposes, serve other spaces, uh, be built uh, with other woods, other species. So in a way, they are prototypes and this makes them more interesting. And also it makes me um, feel comfortable to exhibit them. I, I'm not exhibiting the original piece uh, as a museum piece. No, it's not like that. It's about showing how we can produce new pieces with that prototype and how this piece can respond to different situations. So I'm so happy that they are in a very different room in Milan and we are adapting them to the room you know we are trying to to 
to make a, a new interpretation of how to dispose the furniture in that big room with, which is fantastic. Uh, it's a, it's a architecture from Portalupi, uh, rehabilitating a building of Milan of the medieval Renaissance time. So fantastic. Can you give us a few examples of the pieces? Because as you've said, these are all pieces of wooden furniture. There's a lot of tables, there's a bookshelf, um, there's a couple of little stools in there. Now, I think when people often think of wooden furniture, they think of something very classic, right? Perhaps very elegant, but very straight. Whereas, as you've said before, movement is essential to all of these pieces. They're very kinetic. And I mean, there's there's a large table called Inestable, for instance, which is full of secret doors and it's a very complex piece. Maybe you could give us a few examples of, of what these furniture are and some of the elements that really stand out to you. I, I think this furniture are in a way the dream of the architects and also they're not just uh, serving the purpose of being a table, for example. It's much more. It's like an artistic uh, expression and especially this table you were mentioning called Inestable, which means unstable, the unstable table. It's, uh, it's something which, uh, which is really uh, artistically explaining the world of the architects. So in a way, you can really always change it. It can become like a sculpture. It can look like a piano. You can sit uh, in a secret position or open it and become an enormous dining table for a big, big family. And uh, you have very different possibilities on it, which make it not only a table, but uh, really a, a, an artistic piece where you can display your family life or your personal life. And, and this actually is happening. We have secret things in the drawers and we have... Uh, very personal objects always positioned on top. It's a welcome piece uh, to the house. So it's, it's really a transformable place which, uh, which can become very personalized. Were these pieces difficult to create? Because it, it seems like there's an awful lot of craftsmanship in there. Like, for instance, there's a little table called Tropical, and that can stand at two different heights. Now, often when you think of um, furniture pieces with movement in them, you may be thinking of something like an office chair, you know, quite synthetic plastics. But to execute this in wood is something very different. Was it, was it hard to create these pieces? It, it, these pieces are not easy to create at all. You, you need a very good uh, craftsman. Uh, and uh, actually, we were very lucky in this sense of working with American hardwood. We have worked with the best uh, carpenter in Spain, at least. And, and they are producing the pieces with uh, fantastic detail. And, and uh, they are complex, but at the same time, also they are simple. For example, this... Well, this table you are describing, tropical, is, has a, the most simple mechanism. And I cannot explain here. You just need two people, not very strong, not particularly strong, but you can transform it from a dining table to a coffee table or cocktail table. So it can be high or low in, in the easiest way. So it's, a, it's really... Uh, the craftsman of, of doing it is, is going in the detail, but the mechanism of movement is uh, so simple that uh, 
really. You, you cannot even describe it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've cheated a little bit. We've been saying that these are all wooden pieces. But of course, you know, there are lots of different types of wood. And one of the essential elements of this project is that all of these pieces have been recreated in new woods. They've all been recreated in American hardwoods, whereas previously they'd been made from timbers like pine, elm, uh, and, and a couple of others. How how does it change the pieces to see them executed in a different type of wood? Is that a very big shift? What what does it do to those pieces? Well, actually, when we created the pieces, we had not so much wood at uh, at hand. You know, sometimes we we were going in a carpenter here in Barcelona, and we had only one possibility. You know. And uh, now it is really fantastic with American hardwood. First of all, they instructed us about the different characteristics and the different colors, and we could touch them and touch the different finishing. And, and then we had the possibility to reinterpret this, uh, these pieces that we had in the house as prototypes and, and uh, invent different possibilities, you know, using tulip wood, using red oak. We, we loved oak, but we never had the possibility to see red oak or cherry, you know, this different, uh, different touches, different uh, possibilities. And as I explained to you before, we are the type of architects who never want to choose. We always uh, want to, to have uh, an open possibility in front of us. So this is really like a, a paradise for us to have the possibility to rebuild our building our our furniture with other woods <laughs> i mean you mentioned that when you first created these pieces you didn't necessarily have a lot of wood and my understanding is some of these pieces were actually made from leftovers from other architectural projects and i know that's very important to you that sort of emphasis on sustainability and and using wood responsibly and you've actually done a project with ahec before right in 2017 called too good to waste looking specifically at this and there's a strong sustainability element to uh, perpetual mobile as well could could you tell us a little bit about your relationship with sustainability and, and how you think wood feeds into that i think at the beginning in the 90s when we were doing our home we were sustainable because we needed personally <laughs> we didn't have very much money and so we had to use whatever we had in, in, our, in our surroundings. And for example, we did uh, some of the furniture we have in the home with leftovers of, uh, of another big project. We just asked the builder, can you please spare some pieces and give it back to us? And, and so with that, we could make uh, a couple of tables. Uh, and uh, also we bought these uh, trunks which we found somewhere in, in a carpenter place, and we repositioned them in different positions during the years. And only at the end, we created uh, some tables, which we call trunks, which uh, can fold, uh, can be high or can be benches, low benches. And so in, in, uh, with American hardwood, this became something more broad. We understood more broadly, how using wood is a very responsible and sustainable move. Because they could explain us that uh, really using woods which are then replanted give really the substitution immediately. They, they like to play with, uh, with the fact that 
you imagine everything which is displayed there and you know that the same amount of wood have grown in something like two minutes. I never believed that, but they explained that this is like that because meanwhile, while they are using the woods, the wood is planted. So it's about really using the life of an organic element which was used by humanity for so many centuries. And, and this is fantastic. I, I, I really love to listen to that and to learn that. I mean, as you say, you've had an opportunity to go into that sort of science and material science quite a bit in this project, but it seems as if wood has always been quite a big part of your practice. I mean, if you look at the Scottish Parliament building, which I think a lot of people would say is Ulrich's masterpiece, it's a, such a great building. One of the most dramatic elements of that is that beautiful sort of timber construction on the roof and that central auditorium. Wood is a very dominant material within that. What what do you get out of wood as an architect? Why does it appeal to you so much beyond just the sustainability aspects? You know, the, as architects, many times we move with intuition. And uh, wood in our architecture arrived, I think, uh, in the 90s. But in the late 90s, we first... Uh, uh, experimented it in the house at the small scale of the of the furniture but then we realized how fantastic it is to have wood next to you to live together with wood and also how fantastic it is to transform a public building in a sort of home you you should have always a kind of a domestic feeling so when we designed the scottish parliament we were very much trying not to make an, an institutional building. We were trying as much as possible to make it like a home, to make everybody feel that they were home. And, and maybe that's why we, we wanted wood to, to be there. Also, we had in mind that uh, the construction in Scotland is not only about uh, fantastic stones and castles. It, it is also about... Uh, a navy and about uh, building boats and uh, and a fantastic craftsmanship in that. So we wanted to bring back that knowledge into the main building of Scotland, which which is the Scottish Parliament. So we think it's important to remember that wood, uh, not only on earth but also on the sea, was the great alley of of men. It's something, it's a material which, at least in architectural circles, is getting a lot more attention at the moment. I think a lot of practitioners are very interested in timber architecture and construction and what can be done with that. I know it's something you've worked with a little bit. Uh, the pavilion you did for Expo Milan in 2015, for instance, that was a timber construction. Is, is it an area you see as being very much growing within the field? Is it, is it something you think we're going to be seeing a lot more of? I think we are more and more interested, all the architects, let's say, in, and, and, build, and people in the construction um, uh, profession, we are more and more interested in wood because we realize that it's a real sustainable material. It has incredible characteristics and we can treat it in different ways, in different uh, scales. And for example, now uh, the, the newest project we are doing, we are designing, most of them have wood. Even if it's difficult because in the outside, wood is still, uh, you know, it perish. It's, uh, it's difficult to treat. 
in China, when we where we are working right now, it's prohibited to use uh, wood in the exterior or in the in the in the structures. But we are building, uh, for example, a, a new station in Naples, which is completely in wood, and it's in a very concrete uh, place in in Naples, but. The wood is everywhere and it really creates a sort of forest. And you have the feeling to go to the subway going into a forest. So it, it gives light, it gives comfort, it gives also possibility of very, very big scales. A number of really interesting architecture projects underway there, as you mentioned. And I know you work across disciplines, but I think for most people who know your work and their Enric's work, they'll know you as architects, they'll know you for the buildings. So I'm curious, what do you think people will learn about your architecture from seeing the furniture? Like, what do you see as the relationship between them? Because I, I think this will be very new to a lot of people who might be familiar with many of your projects, but perhaps not so much with this furniture aspect. So I, I, I think this, uh, this furniture, sometimes uh, if you look at them uh, changing the scale a little bit with your eyes, sometimes they really look like uh, architecture. And, and for example, there is one which was supposed to be for the children in our home. Then it was uh, never built in our home. It was uh, designed as a prototype in Finland for the Alvaralto uh, Festival. And which is really incredible is like a little a little house, and you look at it and you find little places like a like a village with doors and uh, and windows where you can position your dolls. So in a way, you 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 should have the idea to be a child with your doll in your hand and transform everything you see into a, an architecture and a landscape. <laughs> And I think something, obviously, all of the pieces are exciting and I think there's a lot that people can get from them. But there's one in particular that seems of special interest, which is the mystery table. And this was a piece which never existed, right? It was never even built as a prototype. This is a work where you discovered the plans and that's been created for the first time. Can you tell us a little bit about that piece? I think that story is so incredible that people will not believe it. But it is true, when I was uh, preparing this exhibition, this uh, construction of, of this furniture of home, we didn't have drawings because we, we build them usually with uh, little sketches that we were giving to the, to the artisans and then the sketches most of the time were lost. So I was looking into, into notebooks, into old uh, um, documents in order to find some of the drawings and I found a drawing, which I thought it was like, uh, let's say, the first shape of some existing uh, tables of our home. And then looking better, I realized it was not. It was something totally different. But it was a measured drawing. So we had the measurements. And, and then I discovered it was a table, a new table, which was ready in 99 to be built. I don't know why Eric never told me or we never sent it to the carpenter. And, uh, and then Eric died and the, and the drawing remained in his notebook. And so we called it the mystery table. And it's a, it's a beautiful table, uh, transformable as everyone. And uh, when you, when you uh, fold it, 
you have a beautiful fold, which also is like an M. Eric loved to hide his name, his initials in, in, uh, in his pieces. So it's like an M. And if you read it on the other side, it's like an E. Eric Miralles. And uh, this, uh, this folded table is a perfect table to draw because you have the folding serving to store books and store drawings and uh, keep your things. And the other one, like a fantastic surface, is to do a big drawing. And then when you open it, it becomes a wonderful table to have a big party. Let's say maybe something like 15, 16 people can sit there. And, and uh, so it's a, it's a wonderful piece that you can keep in your working place when afterwards you want to transform your working place in a, in a place to meet friends. <laughs> it's, it struck me just looking through everything. There's so much emotion tied up in this, that creation of that piece for the first time, for instance. I think there's another work, Marisa, which... Uh, these are these are some bookshelves, and they were designed for your mother, right? I mean, I, th- I think I read that she had ended up just buying a different system, and so they were never delivered. But there's a lot of your kind of personal story tied up in this, obviously, and it's a really moving tribute. I, I imagine that's that's going to be an emotional day when you get to see the exhibition open. This this exhibition is full of secrets, you know. This uh, this shelf dedicated to my mother. Uh, my mother never knew about it because she was commenting and saying, oh, I need a bookshelf which uh, can be closed, but I also would like to look at the books. And, and Rick, he told me, oh, we have to make a present to your mother. And we designed a shelf which could open, which you can close, but whenever it's closed, you can always look inside and see what's there inside. But then... We, we, we built it also. When we wanted to give it to my mother, we realized that my mother had already uh, done a normal classic uh, uh, shelf with, uh, with uh, glass uh, doors. And we didn't say anything. <laughs> we kept the, the Marisa shelf. And so now that she's 91, I'm telling her, ah, there is your shelf in, in, uh, in the exhibition. And she doesn't understand very well. <laughs> And I'm actually going to ask one more question because I was curious about this and forgot to ask you earlier. It's really interesting. Some of the pieces are specifically attributed to Enric and others are co-designed by both of you. And I'm interested how you designed those works together because different designers, when they collaborate, they always collaborate in different ways. You know, how two people work together will be very different to how another two. What was what was the way you worked together on these pieces? How did you create them? Let's say Eric was the best uh, drawer uh, person drawing that I ever met. I love drawing myself, but uh, when I met Eric, I gave him this, uh, this specialty because he was really fantastic. His drawings were alive. And, and so it was very difficult to draw next to Eric. No? Whenever he was drawing something for the two of us, I was there commenting, saying things, but the, the, the pencil was in his hand. And so it's very easy to say, oh, it's only Eric. And uh, maybe I would have said it's only Eric when Eric was next to me. But then Eric died and I understood how much you can do by just simply being next to a person, comment things, 
say stupid things or little things and uh, accepting, not accepting. And in this sense, this furniture are uh, designed by both of us. But in, in, uh, in a sense of uh, the pencil, the pencil was always in the hand of Eric. And uh, I always wanted to do that because this was really his way of expressing himself, the love for the others, the love for the family. And, uh, and uh, this was our way of collaborating. But it's so important we talk about things like that, because I think across design and architecture, we often fall into the trap of thinking of sort of lone geniuses creating these things on their own. And of course, there's an element of that. You know, some people are extraordinary talents, but nearly everything grows out of a dialogue within the studio and connections with other people. And I think it's it's always good to to make a note of that and to remember that no one designs in a vacuum. There's always influences and, and you influence one another. I think so. And this was for our home. So in a way, it was a creation of our new life together. And this, uh, this pieces were key in, uh, in permitting our new life together. <laughs> Benedetta, thank you so much for joining us on Words on Wood. Fantastic. Thank you so much. <laughs> Alongside Perpetuum Mobile, AHEC is also one of the partners behind Forest Tales, an exhibition of furniture designed during the pandemic that has been developed by Studio Swai. Forest Tales is on display at the Triennale di Milano from the 3rd to 12th of June. For more information, visit triennale.org. This episode has been hosted by me, Ollie Stratford, and produced and edited by Evie Hall. It was created in collaboration with the American Hardwoods Export Council.